Hey folks, this is Kevin. On this week's episode of Risk, you'll hear Sufyan Shamukov. I took her hand and said, I like that you don't do your nails. <laughs> she said, are you sure you like women? <laughs> that and more. But before that, this week's bonus story over at patreon.com slash risk is a real treat. It is a story that David Lawson shared in 2015, like when the world was a slightly pleasanter seeming place. Oh, it's a ghost. Scary. I was amazed how many people could just do the same heckle as if they knew each other or something. Oh, my gosh. We're going to have to have David back on the show. And there's lots more bonus content at patreon.com slash risk. And your donations help us pay a staff of almost 20 people. Not all full time, of course, but still, <laughs> that's a lot. And they put a ton of work and love and blood and sweat and tears into this show that they love dearly. And they want to do whatever it takes to keep this show thriving. So that is at patreon.com slash risk. And if you'd like to make a one-time donation, that's at paypal.me slash risk show. Now here's the show. Hello, kids. This is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison. This is Frank Zappa and the Mothers of Invention behind me now. And we are calling this week's episode Bringing to Light. Three really beautiful stories from recent Risk live streams. And one thing we are hard at work bringing to light behind the scenes is our new podcast, real it's coming soon it's it's not ready i i, I maybe i shouldn't be talking about it right now but it, it we are working on it so it's on my mind so i thought i'd mention it but we'll have a lot more to say about it in uh, a few weeks from now and we want you to be telling all your friends about it when it does come out and something else that is coming back to light are our corporate workshops. Businesses are starting to hire us again for storytelling for business workshops at thestorystudio.org. You know, having your staff learning how to communicate more humanly and more emotionally with one another while also learning about one another, it's very beneficial. And you can find out more about that at thestorystudio.org. Let's get to the stories now. In a little bit, we're going to hear from Sufyan Zhemukov. But before that, Annie Tan is on the show for the very first time, and I already want her back on. <laughs> you can find Annie at AnnieTan.com. Here she is now with a story we call Allegiance. So happy to see everyone. So I'm in Chicago, spring 2014, and I'm about to meet my boyfriend's parents for the first time. And my boyfriend's a little bit nervous, but I look up six foot four and I say, this is going to be okay because everyone loves me. <laughs> and that is just the truth. I have always been great with people. And just to say uh, in the beginning of the story that that boyfriend has since transitioned to a woman and changed her name. So I will be using they, them pronouns to refer to Jess with the rest of the story. And so Jess and I are holding hands and we knock on Jess's mom's door 
Jess's mom does something that I've only ever done twice with my mom, give me a hug. <laughs> um, and it was just, it was really nice to be comforted by a hug. And um, because I am a Chinese American, I was born and raised here in New York City. My parents don't speak English. And there's always been that barrier between us, you know, with me and my parents. But with Jess's mom and stepdad, I was like, oh, this is really nice. And Jess's mom, they lay out the food, which is like a, the first thing was like a salad with avocado and tomatoes. And Jess's mom is asking me all these questions about myself. And I start sharing that I'm a teacher. I'm an activist. I have all these hopes and dreams. And then Jess's mom asked me, how's my family? And how's that going? And I say, oh, you know, my dad calls me every day uh, from New York. And what I didn't tell Jess's mom, though, was that he called me every day, whether I wanted it or not, at 8.30, basically on the dot every night. And that night later, he called me. He was like, Nasik Mea, what did you eat? And because I grew up here in America and didn't go to Chinese school for Cantonese and focused so much on English and survival, right, I didn't learn Cantonese and I didn't speak it and so I told my dad that night salad because that's how you say salad in Cantonese but I didn't know how to say like avocado I didn't tell Jess's mom any of that because Jess's mom just met me I don't know but we have a lovely dinner and at the end of the night Jess's mom hugs me and then Jess's mom hugs Jess and they say to each other I love you and I love you too. Something else that my parents have never said to me. Um, I remember I said that to my dad once. And he yelled at me and he said, saying I love you doesn't mean anything. <laughs> you can actually look up like Chinese kids say I love you to their parents for the first time and see their startled reactions on YouTube. It's actually a thing. Um, so we went home. My dad gave me that call. Just realized there was something off. But, you know, I kind of pushed it away. Just didn't push that much about my parents, just assuming like, oh, I miss my parents. Maybe I'm in Chicago. They're in New York. And over the next few months and over the next few years, we got to know Jess and Jess's family. I would stay over at Jess's dad and stepmom's place and uh, we go on trips together. And it was just really nice to be able to talk in English, in a language I knew because they knew more about me and my hopes and dreams than my parents did. Because I didn't know how to say like union. I didn't know how to say like a protest like I often do. And it made me really sad. But I didn't really realize that till I was with Jess. And almost two years passed by in this relationship before Jess and I agreed to visit New York together and maybe meet my family for the first time. So Thanksgiving 2015, Jess and I are really ramped up. And, you know, my dad gives me his uh, usual 8.30 p.m. phone call. Uh, I didn't know how to say turducken. That was the first time I had ever had turducken, which is turkey and duck and chicken all in one at Jess's family's place. And so I just told my dad, okay, I'm at my boyfriend's place for Thanksgiving. And Chinese people don't really celebrate Thanksgiving, so I didn't think this was a big deal. But my dad replied, Annie, why are you at your boyfriend's place with their family? How come you're not at home? And then I simply replied, because I'm in Chicago. And he said, fine, stay in Chicago, don't come home. And he hung up. And I told Jess, and then... The call stopped for that week. You know, I just wondered, is dad going to give in? Am I going to give in? I'm not giving in. This man is stubborn. I'm stubborn. This, no. And then my mom called me the next weekend. I was at the Art Institute in Chicago, and my mom called. us like, don't marry Jess. And I was like, why? Like, I'm not, this is not even in the realm of things. But my mom said, if you stay with Jess, your father will never talk to you again. And this is when all the tears start. 
I'm like, well, if he chooses to do that, that's on him. And I hung up the phone and I went home and I sobbed in Jess's lap for the next hour. And over the next few weeks before the holiday, when we were supposed to go home to meet my parents for the first time, Jess was really disappointed because this was going to be the first time Jess met my family. And even though Jess wouldn't know how to speak with them, like this would be the time, but it wasn't going to happen. And I think Jess knew that and I knew that. So we just decided we were going to make the best of our New York trip without telling my parents that Jess was even there. And so I stayed with my parents and Jess stayed with their cousin. So I went back to New York and indeed my dad did let me in the door, but he gave me the silent treatment and he wouldn't say a word to me. He even took my favorite foods from the dinner table, fish cheeks, chicken drumstick, all of that. And he went back to the bedroom, didn't talk to me all night. And I called Jess. I was like, Jess, what do I do? I I don't know. Jess just asked me, Annie, your dad has called you every day for the past eight years since you've been away for college. What do you want from him? And I said the first thing that came to my head, I want him to be happy. And Jess was just like, you should tell him that. You know, you don't tell him anything. And so at lunch, it was just me and dad. And I told him, And the little furrow that was in his eyebrow since I got home went away and softened. And he simply told me, Annie, how can I be happy when my only daughter is in Chicago, 800 miles away? I know I will not convince you of anything. I know you're your own person. But no, I want you home. And he had laid out all his cards in front of me. And now it's up to me. And so for the next few nights, he did feed me my favorite foods because I was going back to Chicago in a week. And he told his dad jokes. And he was being gentle. And he was cleaning up after me with my suitcase because I'm a slob. Um, and I realized, you know, a few years prior, he had told me saying I love you doesn't mean anything because in Chinese culture, you don't say I love you, you show it. And all those phone calls over the past eight years just weren't working anymore for him. And maybe, maybe he was right. Well, maybe we should try. Also in that same week, Jess, you know, and I are seeing New York. We go to Times Square, which is the worst. We see it for 10 minutes and we run away immediately and we try bagels and we go to Chinatown and Jess is a lighting theater design person and really, really wanted to see their first Broadway musical. So we went and got tickets to this Asian American musical called Allegiance and it has people who look like me and it features this cast that had gone through Japanese internment camps. And at the very end of the musical, you see kind of like the ghost of Christmas future. It was George Takei on stage. He is old. His character has given up on his family and hasn't seen them in 40 years. And he just starts sobbing on stage because he has completely regretted this decision and wants a relationship with his family. And I just crumple and I just start sobbing. Like to the point where I'm shaking Jess is trying to give me all the tissues, but it doesn't cover up all the snot on my face. Like my coat jacket and my sweater are soaked. And I realized in that moment, you know, my body was telling me, my heart was telling me, my mind was so stubborn that I was going home and that I was going to try something with my family. And I asked Jess to move to New York with me. And Jess went on job boards and went looking for a lighting theater design job and found their dream job in San Diego. We realized it wasn't going to work and we broke up. Jess went to San Diego where they had the courage to come out as a woman um, and transitioned. Um, And Jess is actually here tonight. This is the first time Jess is hearing me (gasps) tell a story live. Mm -hmm. Hi, Jess. I moved home four and a half years ago and things have been rocky with my parents and me but 
I've gone to a therapist who speaks Cantonese, and she's told me lots of things about Chinese culture I didn't know. <laughs> I've been taking Cantonese classes. I help translate my parents' mail. <laughs> and this Thanksgiving, even though with this pandemic, my mom, she made turkey and brought it to my place, and I made her pie, and she said it was delicious. I don't know if it was actually delicious, but she told me so. Uh, <laughs> she even brought me eggs today. And my dad and I, we talk for way more than 30 seconds now because my Cantonese vocabulary is a little bit better. Still got to improve. <laughs> my dad showed me all his cards. And now I get to lay them all out here in New York and not run away from what I thought I would never have with my dad. A real relationship. Thank you so much. I never felt so lonely in my whole life as when I moved to the United States from Russia in 2011. I came on a scholarship at the Library of Congress where books were all I had around me. As an academic, I love books, only they don't keep you warm at night. And I felt really lonely, like about to start talking to my books, kind of lonely. <laughs> then I got lucky and I met someone. We were the only regulars in the European reading room. She looked beautiful, self-confident, and had a sophisticated haircut. <laughs> and my friends say that I look like George Clooney. <laughs> so I introduced myself and she said, I'm Rebecca. And I thought, would it be appropriate to say that I like biblical names? But instead I asked about her research. She said, I'm working on my PhD about the influence of the Italian folklore on Dominica Scarlatti's early sonatas. Nothing came to my mind about Dominica Scarlatti's early sonatas. <laughs> and I wished I hadn't dismissed my earlier biblical line. <laughs> then she said, tell me about your research. Sure, I said. It's not often that people ask me to talk about my paper on Muslim rescue of Jews during the Holocaust. She said, that's funny, cause I'm Jewish. I said, I'm a Muslim. I hope that's funny too. And then suddenly she said, would you rescue me? I thought, this is probably the most uncomfortable Q&A I've ever had about my paper. <laughs> and I said, are you in trouble? She said, I might be. That's when the librarian gave us a shut up look. And I never learned why Rebecca might be in trouble. We kept running into each other and adopted that flirting style. So I'm from Russia and everybody knows that we Russians are good at three things. We're good at war, we're good in space, and we're good at dating. <laughs> well, personally, I've never been at war or in space, but I'm still good at dating. And I decided to make my move on Valentine's Day. Actually, I decided to make two moves, just to be sure. 
And as my first move, I invited Rebecca to a cozy little coffee shop on Pennsylvania Avenue in Washington, D.C. We had tea and shared a slice of lemon cake. I took her hand and said, I like that you don't do your nails. <laughs> She said, are you sure you like women? I said, not all women, but you definitely. We fought over the last piece of the lemon cake and I opened my mouth, encouraging her to feed it to me, which she surprisingly did. And I said, take half of it. She took the cake with her lips out of my lips and said, that was the funniest first kiss ever. <laughs> we left the coffee shop holding hands and started walking toward the metro. And I felt that if I let her go, that would be the end of it. And I didn't want it to end. So I was glad that I prepared my second move. I told her I should buy you a Valentine's card. She said, oh, how nice. There is a CVS store on the way to Metro. I knew that because my second move was that I went to that CVS earlier that day, bought a card, wrote an inscription on it and put it back behind other cards so that nobody would buy it accidentally. <laughs> a simple red rose on a white cover hidden among other colorful Valentine's cards. So I let Rebecca pick a card, but she didn't pick mine. <laughs> and I said, well, that one looks a little flashy for your classy dress. <laughs> I had to come with similar lame excuses three more times. She finally picked my card, but before she opened it, I said, let's steal it and make it memorable. <laughs> she smiled, but the alarm will go off at the exit. I said, then we'll just apologize and pay for it. She stopped smiling and said firmly, no, let's not do that. I said, fine, I'll do it alone. And I took the card out of her hand. And she said, I'm gonna tell the manager. <laughs> Now, that wasn't the first time I played that fake out card stealing trick. <laughs> And it always worked back in Russia. I thought, I wonder what's wrong this time. I looked like a bad ass in Moscow, but here in DC, I look just bad. But I calmed myself. Everything's under control. I've already paid for the card earlier and I got a receipt in my pocket. And I moved toward the door and Rebecca moved toward the counter. I thought, I'm glad we're doing this now because I wouldn't want to risk spending the rest of my life with someone who would turn me in for a Valentine's card. <laughs> and I exited the store. But it turned out that Rebecca was bluffing and she exited after me without the SWAT team surrounding me. I offered her the card. You see, the alarm didn't go off, but she snapped. I don't want it. I said, why don't you just open it? And if you don't like it, I will return it. She looked puzzled and reluctantly opened the card and read, Rebecca, how lucky can one guy be? I kissed you and you kissed me. Happy Valentine's Day. She said, did you set this up? And I was happy to see that she turned from wolfish back into foxy. <laughs> I took her hand, looked into her beautiful blue eyes and said, I've been looking for someone like you since I came here. She kissed me and said, do you want to show me your place? I thought, hallelujah. <laughs> it felt like the beginning of a meaningful relationship and for the first time in many months I didn't feel lonely anymore at my apartment I had a couple of candles that I bought earlier as a symbol of my belief in my two moves and while Rebecca was in the bathroom I lit the candles and drew the curtains because 
It was still bright day outside. When Rebecca came out, she was wearing beautiful red lingerie. I thought she was prepared too. I pulled her toward me, embraced her and kissed her. She put her arms on my shoulders and whispered into my ear, I'm married. No move could have prepared me for that. My heart sank and I felt the heartbeat inside my stomach. And I felt that I had to sit down on the sofa. And Rebecca sat on my lap. I thought, this feels like breaking the seventh commandment, the one about not committing adultery. Or was it the eighth one? I mean, it's pretty far down the list. I thought, apparently she doesn't love her husband and probably they separated and she's trying to move on. And then it occurred to me, so this must be what she meant when she asked me to rescue her. And I said, I've heard that such things happen to others, but I never thought that I would fall in love with a married woman. And she said, and I never thought that I'd fell in love with two men. I speak three languages and I've never heard such a sentence in any of those languages. I realized she'll never be mine and anything we share with each other just would be stolen, much more so than my pseudo-stolen Valentine's card. So we sat there, sweet and sad, with candles burning behind the curtain in the middle of the day. And that did not feel sexy at all. I felt even lonelier than before I met her. I never saw Rebecca again, but no matter what, she remained in my heart. And for the record, I stopped using that card stealing trick after that. It doesn't work on Americans anyway. Thank you. Supion, everybody. Oh. The George Clooney of the storytelling scene. Yes, yes. <laughs> This is Joe Jackson doing a live acoustic version of Is She Really Going Out With Him in 1984. And before Joe, we heard from Sufjan Jamukov uh, with some sound design music done there by our episode editor, Jeff Barr. Before that, a little snippet from that Broadway show, Allegiance, that Annie Tan was talking about during her story. And you know, we also love really short stories, those anecdotes, those stories around about three or four minutes. Great way to take a stab at storytelling, but in a bite-sized way, because for these mini stories, we suggest you focus on just one incident, just one thing happening. Have you ever had something uncanny happen to you, like a crazy coincidence or a moment that felt like you were in the twilight zone? What's the weirdest thing that ever happened to you on the job? 
or at school. Maybe a time you broke the law or did something you said you'd never do. What's a time that you were struck with ridiculously bad luck? Whatever it is, get on over to the submissions page at risk-show.com slash submissions to send those anecdotes of yours our way. Folks, if you like good old-fashioned true crime mysteries, if you like stories where you feel like you're a detective finding clues, June's Journey is the name of this new game that you can play on your iPhone or your Android you are uncovering the mystery of June's sister's murder. It's this well-to-do family in the 1920s living in a great Gatsby-like mansion. Each scene uncovers new aspects of the story. Some parts are in New York. Some parts are in Paris. There's all kinds of objects you're finding and trying to assess whether they're meaningful or not. You collect information, filling out your own photo album, and you're keeping track of all the characters. There's romance, there's scandalous family secrets. It feels like a really fun play or movie. And I've only made it through like five scenes, but I am told you could crack the case. All you need is an internet connection and downloading on iOS or Android. So discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Our final story this week is an extraordinary one. It comes to us from Paul Barack, who you can find on Instagram at Barack Outdoors. He has a book called Fighting Monks and Burning Mountains, Misadventures on a Buddhist Pilgrimage. A 750-mile pilgrimage. Holy cow. And our editor, John LaSala, said he's reading Paul's book and thoroughly enjoying it. Anyway, here is Paul now with a story that is not about Star Wars. And it's a story we call, It's Not About Star Wars. So in 2017, after a couple of just anvil-heavy times, in the spring, I decided to hike the Pacific Crest Trail, which was the best decision I could have made. You know, for six months out in that paradise, for the first time in years, I was happy like every day. And then I came back home and Trump was president like every day. And at first I was fine, but as the months wore on, I just started to get more and more depressed because not only did the world seem horribly wrong, but it also seemed like I was the only one who could see it. Because every time I tried to bring it up to people, they'd just kind of shrug and be like, yeah, man, it is what it is. Like they'd gotten used to it somehow while I was gone and moved on. But I never could. And so every day I'm just feeling more and more depressed and more and more isolated. And the only bright spot in that time was that I started dating my new girlfriend, Michelle. So by Christmas, I am just in the depths, still living at home, still unemployed, still 35 years old. And that's when my dad calls me up and goes, Paul, it's Christmas. Let's Go see a movie and get some Chinese food. And I'm like, yeah, being Jewish is awesome. <laughs> I will get my coat. So me, my parents, and my sister all climb into the car, and we head out to see the new Star Wars. Now, I'm not the biggest Star Wars fan. Like, the originals are classics, and the prequels aren't. <laughs> and, you know, I thought The Force Awakens was okay. But this one, I am actually really excited for. 
because all the reviews are talking about how adult and dark and complex it is. And I'm thinking, of course it is. It's directed by Ryan Johnson. I mean, this is the guy that did Looper. He did Brick. He did three of the best episodes of Breaking Bad. So I'm not only pretty excited, but I'm also kind of hopeful that I'm going to be able to connect to this dark adult movie and maybe just not feel so alone. You know, if just for a couple hours. So we get to the theater, like... The excitement's up. I got my popcorn. I sit down. The theater lights lower. The horns blare. The scroll starts and we all cheer. And it takes about four minutes before I realize, uh, this is not a good movie. (laughs) Like, it's pretty bad. And as the movie's going on, I'm just getting madder and madder because it's not just that this movie is dumb, patronizing bullshit where nobody important dies and there's no consequence for anyone's mistakes and people's problems just get solved because whatever. I'm getting really mad because Star Wars is the exact problem I've been having since I got back from the Pacific Crest Trail. Everyone told me that this movie was fine and it so clearly isn't and apparently I'm the only one who can see it. So, two and a half hours later, the movie ends, the lights come up, everyone cheers and I am furious. (laughs) And I walk outside and my dad goes, what'd you think? And I go, Dad, that movie was dumb, patronizing bullshit. There was no consequence for anyone's actions, and it'll be important, died. And my dad goes, yeah, Paul, it's a movie for 10-year-olds. Let's get some Chinese food. So we're at the Chinese place, and I should be happy because it's Chinese food, which I love. And my family's there, which is fine. (laughs) but instead I am miserable because now we're all discussing politics which for my family means arguing about all the things we agree on and no one wants to talk about how bad that movie was they just moved on and I'm trying to hold up my end of the conversation but all I want to do is just push my chair away from the table, walk outside, and start crying because I just feel so alone right now. So the check comes, we get home, my parents are sitting upstairs, and my sister too, quietly reading, and meanwhile, I'm downstairs in my childhood bedroom just pacing back and forth, back and forth, needing to vent to somebody about how shitty this movie was, and that's when my phone buzzes with a text from Michelle that reads, Hey babe, still out with my family, but I'll be free in 10 minutes. Is that a good time for a call? Love you. And without thinking, I text back, 10 minutes sounds great, babe. Love you. And then hit send like an idiot. Throw my phone down and think, shit, I can't talk to her. I'm still too mad about Star Wars. And the thing is, I will not fuck this up. Like, it's only been a couple of months, but I am in love with Michelle. She is amazing. She's so kind and smart and funny and sings in an 80s cover band (laughs) and has just a bunch of amazing laughs. And beyond that, she's unlike anyone else I've ever dated. She's really positive and upbeat. You know, she has no history of depression or trauma. So she's not going to understand this at all. (laughs) And I am not about to lose my relationship over a movie for 10-year-olds. But I don't know what to do. You know? Like, I can't call my friends about this because it's Christmas. They're busy. And I can't talk to my family about this because they thought Star Wars was fine. And I need to vent to somebody right now 
so that I don't sound like a crazy person. So I call the crisis line. (laughs) And I'm put on hold because it's Christmas. They're busy. And I'm still pacing back and forth, feeling these minutes ticking down until Michelle calls. And finally, someone picks up and goes, hey, man, my name is Justin. Thank you for calling. What's going on? Uh, why, are you, why are you reaching out to us tonight? And I go, okay, Justin, look. I know that it is Christmas, and I know that there are people calling in with real problems, so I'm going to talk to you real quick about this one thing, and then I'm going to hang up, and you can go back to helping the people who really need it. And Justin goes, no, man. No. We don't, we don't look at it like that. We don't judge you. Whatever you're calling about has gotten you so upset and in so much pain that you reached out to us tonight. So... Whatever it is, man, it's okay. You can tell me. I go, okay, Justin, the new Star Wars sucked. (laughs) And Justin says, okay. A little judgy, I think, by the way. But I don't have time. So I just go off about the plot and about the characters and about how nobody important died and there was no consequence for anyone's mistakes and I'm just ramping up and ramping up until I'm nearly yelling in my childhood bedroom about how happy I was when I was on the Pacific Crest Trail and now I'm back and everyone told me that this movie was fine and it so clearly isn't and nobody but me can see how bad this movie is. (laughs) And Justin goes... Yeah, man. Yeah, that sounds really frustrating. Uh, Is there anything else going on? And without thinking, I shoot back. Well, I mean, two of my past girlfriends killed themselves in just over a year of each other. Whoa. Whoa. And Justin says... Oh. So this isn't really about Star Wars, then, is it, Paul? And I shoot back, well, now that you mention it, Justin, not entirely. But it is not a good movie. And then I thanked him repeatedly and hung up and called Michelle, and we did not talk about Star Wars. So the plan worked. But, you know, then a day later, I, I told her about it because uh, honesty is important in a relationship. And honestly, eh, it's kind of a funny story. <laughs> and, you know, she knew my situation and she laughed. And then she told her parents about it and they didn't laugh. <laughs> because she is dating someone who's had two girlfriends kill themselves and also <laughs> called the crisis line on Jesus's birthday to yell about a kid's movie. So these are not good signs, but you know, between us, it's a joke, you know? And so we tell our friends and they laugh, but a couple of my friends after I finish do ask, uh, but seriously, Paul, are you doing okay? And I'd be like, yeah, yeah. It's just a funny story. You know, like, why are you asking if I can joke about it? That means I'm past it. Why dig in? You know, just like if people asked about the suicides, I'd say, yeah, the first one happened in 2015 and the second one happened in 2016. The second one was traumatic and the first one dimmed the sun. You know, why dig into that more? It's sad as hell. Besides, therapy is really expensive and I'm still barely employed. And I've made it this far. So... Me and Michelle keep dating. We move in together and we're just getting more and more serious. Meanwhile, so are my problems. Believe it or not, Star Wars is not the only thing that I'm getting irrationally angry about. You know, there's also memory problems. You know, I, I can't remember how to drive to places I've been hundreds of times before 
or remember the name of anyone unless they're like a close friend or a family member or any character on Game of Thrones. <laughs> and then there's the worst one, which is that if Michelle is late driving back from band practice or work, I just start trembling with panic as I just become more and more convinced that she's died in a car accident, uh, which isn't a comment on her driving, mostly. <laughs> it's just that, you know, she's so upbeat. I knew it wasn't in her personality to kill herself, but I was also terrified that she was going to die somehow because because I was finally happy again. Mm. So why wouldn't it happen again? Through this whole thing, Michelle is so kind and so understanding. I know that I'm going to marry her. And I also know that my problems aren't getting better and that it's not fair to either of us to keep laughing this off forever. So I finally sit down and put in the work and find a low-cost therapist that I can afford. And a month later... I take a seat in this unfurnished office that he shares in an industrial part of town, turn to him and say, my first girlfriend, Meredith, and I dated for a year. And then I broke it off with her because I didn't realize how in love I still was with my best friend. I tried to get her back for a whole year. And then two weeks after we did finally get back together and start planning our future, she hung herself. She'd been suffering from horrible migraines for a week and chronic pain for a lifetime and couldn't afford the health care to treat it. And there's not a day that goes by that does not hurt. My other girlfriend, Willow, and I dated for a much shorter time. Really intimate, caring, long-distance relationship that soured because she wanted more than I could give and we had different expectations of what being in an open relationship while we were in different states meant. She felt like I cheated on her and a week into a lot of phone calls discussing if we were going to stay together, I called her up one night and she was drunk and talking about taking so many pills that she wouldn't wake up the next day. Even though I was living through my worst nightmare, I frantically texted all of her friends and kept her on the phone until I found someone who could check in on her. And when they did, she brushed it off and said I was overreacting. The next day I broke up with her because I knew that I could not survive even the threat of another suicide. She killed herself the next day. And sometimes it really scares me that I'm still standing. And the therapist said, okay. And for the next hour, we didn't talk about the new Star Wars at all. Which, to be clear, is not a good movie. <laughs> Paul Barack, everybody. Paul Barack. Wow. That is all for this week's episode, folks. This is... Who the fuck is this? I feel like we keep featuring these the worst disco albums of 1977 or so. This is uh, Mecco, music inspired by Star Wars and other galactic funk. <laughs> 
That was Paul Barak we just heard. Don't forget his book, Fighting Monks and Burning Mountains, is available on Amazon in ebook, audiobook, and print. And John LaSala did the editing of that piece there. Folks, the next Risk live stream is on Friday, February 19th at 7 p.m. Eastern. And we're doing it in conjunction with one of our favorite storytelling organizations, First Person Arts in Philly. So tickets are at risk-show.com slash tour. Again, that's Friday, February 19th at 7 p.m. Eastern. I gave the wrong date on the last episode, so mark your calendar. It's Friday, February 19th. And would you like to hire me for storytelling training? I'm at kevinallison.com. Right now I'm helping someone prepare uh, scripted content for their own podcast. I'm helping someone else write his memoir. And I'm helping yet another person prepare anecdotes to share during their upcoming job interviews. I love these one-on-one sessions, and you can find all of that at kevinallison.com. Meanwhile, you can find Risk at risk-show.com, and all our socials are at Risk Show, and on Twitter and Instagram, I'm at the Kevin Allison. Folks, today's the day. Take a risk. You can read along with me in your book. You will know it is time to turn the page when you hear R2-D2 beep like this.